Colton Richardson. Welcome to the Willpower Podcast, man. I am so glad to have you here. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm so glad to have Colton here. It's been a, a little bit of, of a project in the making. I, I, I thought, I remember when I first asked you, and I, you know, I remember rehearsing what I was going to say, and I was going to say, man, the first lawyer I've had on the podcast, and somebody else beat you to it, bro. Took so long to come on that somebody else came in. Who was the lawyer? Um, Jen Reese. She was just a couple episodes back. Um, she actually uh, is a lawyer and quit at 29, and now she's like a solo tra- traveler, has done like three TEDx talks, and I mean, she's legit. She's out mm. of Florida, but man, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I'm excited to kind of have a conversation here with you, And um, but for people that haven't heard your name, give me a little one-minute introduction. Yeah, Colton Richardson, uh, personal injury lawyer. So some people call us ambulance chasers, <laughs> but either or works. Um, <clears throat> so I started out going to OU for undergrad and major in entrepreneurship because uh, I loved business. Um, and so I'd sell like rubber band bracelets and duct tape wallets at school, not like high school, like elementary. Um, so I love just business in general. So major in entrepreneurship, um, did not think I was going to go to law school there were three things I hated in high school. It was reading, writing, and public speaking. And I did not know how I was going to survive being a lawyer. Yeah. And so it wasn't, I knew it was an option, but I wasn't like, I'm going to law school when I went to college. But I slowly learned I'm not too bad at public speaking. And I can do researching and writing. And um, so I kind of figured that out and took the LSAT, applied to law school, got in to TU Law, um, finished, and went to the district attorney's office in Tulsa, prosecuted crimes for a little bit, uh, and then joined my dad at his law firm doing personal injury, and it's, uh, my granddad started it in 84, and my dad's the managing partner now, so I joined um, about four years ago. So even though you grew up with your dad being a lawyer, did you, you really, like, when did you like you didn't grow up like as an elementary thinking like I want to be a lawyer like my dad someday. In kindergarten, we would go across the stage and say what we wanted to be, and I went across the stage and said lawyer. Yeah. But going through, I mean, I remember my senior year of high school, I had to give a speech in English class, and I was freaking out. And then I took so in undergrad at OU, my second semester, I was a freshman. I had the option to take public speaking, which is like. No, or communications. And what they did in communications class was watch Friday Night Lights, the TV show, and talk about the characters and the show. And I was like, easy choice, public speaking. Because um, I knew it was a weakness of mine and something I wanted to work on. And so I chose to do something hard uh, in that situation instead of taking the easy road and did that. And my first speech, we had like guys on stars on the basketball team in our class and everything. So my first speech when I got up there, you could, I was probably bouncing up and down because my knees were going while I was giving the speech. Um, but after that speech, I was like, you know, I can do this. I'm not terrible at it. Um, it also helped that one of the basketball players up there, he could barely speak. And so you could barely understand what he was saying. So that took a little pressure off. So what, that really was the only thing that was in front of you for wanting to be a lawyer is like you were just afraid of public speaking? I didn't. I did not like public speaking. Um, I did not like reading, and I did not like uh, writing. And 
So I was like, I don't know. I'll keep my options open. I knew it was still an option. Um, but like I had mentioned, I loved business. Uh, but more that I figured, okay, public speaking, reading, writing, that's not terrible. I can do it. Uh, led me to the possibility of law school and realizing that I can take law and business and put them together. So once you decided that you wanted to be a lawyer, did at that point your dad being a personal injury attorney, did that kind of play a part into it? Or did, or did you ever kind of look to decide and say, like, maybe you wanted to be a different type of attorney, right? Like, yeah. I know, I know I've met, I've met uh, you introduced me to um, a, some, which I learned a lot through this, that there's not just like a divorce attorney, it's like a family mm -hmm. um, attorney. And, um, but there's other types of attorneys, like, you know, I, I mean, give me some of them. There's a bunch of different types of attorneys. You got family law who do divorce, child custody, and you can even just be a divorce attorney. Um, but not very many people do that, right? Not very many people only do divorces. Uh, probably, actually quite a bit probably only do divorces. They might handle a little bit of other cases. Some people only do criminal cases. Some people only do sex crimes cases. Um, so you can get granular to the type of uh, law, so f criminal, but then granular as to the type of criminal law. Uh, so for us, we do personal injury, so anywhere from car wrecks, trucking accidents, nursing home abuse, products liability, insurance, bad faith. Um, if you're injured, we can probably help you at default to someone else. So there's a wide range between those. But one thing that I... One thing that led me to doing personal injury uh, after going to the DA's office is hearing my dad's, my granddad's stories of their ability to help those who are in sometimes what's the toughest times of their life uh, when they're injured and they can't necessarily help themselves, especially against big insurance companies or larger corporations. So you never even thought it for a second, like, hey, I want to go do criminal, like, because I'm thinking of like being a, a lawyer, I think that, you know, you kind of just see go off of what you kind of see on TV and stuff like yeah. that. And I think like criminals probably one of the biggest ones, like, so you never thought about any, anything other than that? Well, I went to the DA's office. And so I prosecuted crimes. How long were you there for? Um, a few years, two or three years. Uh, I also interned there before and at the public defender's office. And so there I would handle, I handled a bunch of misdemeanors and then handled quite a, quite a bit of felonies as well. Um, and had, so you were the prosecutor at the DA's office. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest like case you ever tried there? It was a lewd molestation case. What is that? What is that? I mean, lewd, what does that mean? T tell me about that. It was that. an adult who inappropriately inappropriately touched a minor so how did that how did you go through that how did you navigate through that like so, in your head uh what do you what do you mean like you know that just seems kind of i don't know just it's nasty yeah yeah we wanted to so the the maximum sentence he could have gotten was 20 years i think the minimum was five well and talk to me about how i so let's did you prosecute did, did you convict him yeah, yeah, the jury gave him 15 years. 15 years, okay. This is kind of where I get a little confused when it comes to the criminal system because, so he gets 15 years, right? But realistically, how many of those years, if he's like a really good inmate, will he serve out of those 15 years? 
You want the lawyer answer? Just give me both, I guess. <laughs> lawyer answer is it depends. <laughs> it depends. And then what's the like? What's the real answer? So, in criminal law in Oklahoma, there's certain crimes that are called eighty-five percenters, which means you have to actually serve at least eighty-five percent of the sentence. You can't be on good behavior and get released early. Um, you have to serve at least eighty-five percent. And then there's other crimes where, honestly, if for property crime, unfortunately. Uh, if it's any less than five years, you will. Some people get sent to Department of Corrections from the jail, and then get sent directly back, even though they're sentenced five years, just because uh, of it. Could depend on how many prior criminals uh, crimes they've committed, uh, the status of occupancy at the jails or the prisons. Uh, so there's a few different factors, but sometimes people can be sentenced to five years and get out less than a year. Dang. Yep. And Governor Stitt, he pardoned a whole bunch of property crimes within the last few years. And so a bunch of people who did larceny from a mer- larceny of merchandise from a retailer, um, <clears throat> not burglary, so breaking into someone's house and stealing stuff, those are all property crimes. So he released a bunch of people that had were sentenced to prison and were serving a sentence, and he commuted their sentences so they could get out. So talk to me about the the transition between being a prosecutor to transition into being on the other side, being the attorney. And not only that, but then being uh, going from all kinds of random cases, like you just told me, like one of the craziest ones was was lewd molestation to like now you're just dealing with probably a bunch of just people that are getting hurt at work or a crash or whatever. So talk to me about that. Like how, how did which one do you like better? And then, you know, how did you deal with that that transition? Because even though the DA sounds a little bit more kind of like rough around the edges, it sounds kind of like a little bit more exciting in a way. There were definitely some exciting times at the district attorney's office. Uh, the hard thing is the volume that you have. You have so many that it's hard to work up the cases like you might want to. And you're not getting paid very much. Is that correct? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, they don't start very high. What so. it, What is like somebody start whenever they're like just out of law school? Um, or I guess, yeah. I think at the DA's office, they're starting at 45000 $45,000. 45 or fifty right now. And then that's insane because, so you had to take the LSATs to go to law school. Mm-hmm. You go to law school. And then you have to take the bar, and then you're an attorney. Yep. That's not very easy. No, it's like for undergrad, all that, it's uh, seven years. Dang. So then how hard was was the LSATs and then the bar for you? Was that pretty hard? So the LSAT, I I was so organized. I was like, I'm going to get into law school. I made a whole calendar. And so there's different sections on the LSAT. And I was like, I'm going to focus on each section. Um, and I scored like 158, which is, I forgot what the scale is, but 150 is average. So I was a little above average. What do you need to have to get into law school? Depends on which law school you want to go to. Um, Harvard or Yale or something like that. Over 170, I think. The top is 180. Don't quote me on this because I do not remember. But I think top is 180 and the bottom is like 120. It's some something like that. Uh, so... TU, their average was like 150 um, when I was going there. So, and then if you get 
what's like the lowest that you can get to get into like a random law school? Probably one thirty. I don't know. I haven't looked at that. And, and, and then, and then, does that really play a part into where you want to go? Like, because it sounds like everybody just kind of starts out kind of like at a crappy DA job or so. Is that correct? Is that accurate? No, I've I actually had friends who right out of law school went where uh i don't remember the firms but man they were making 150 or more and then is that because they went to tu as well Mm -hmm. so what was the difference between like you starting at the da and then shooting your shot at one of these firms the type of job that they got and their previous experience so that person in particular i think they had a had some degree that and did something before law school and so they were even more specialized and adding a law degree even made them more specialized for that field had to do something with oil and gas i think but um so that's why they were making so much but some of these the lar the largest law firms in the world they start at like 225 or something right out of law school and so you were telling me like what what, what was the tradition transition like and which one do you like better yeah so uh i like where i'm at probably more but it's obviously for different reasons at the da's office there are more younger guys there and so that was fun because of the camaraderie and honestly you're going like it's a lot of work and you're all going through it together um so i really liked that and the trials i got probably eight trials there which was great experience, and I was in court almost every day, which is a plus, but it's also a negative or a con because I had to prep for court almost every day. And so just the performing almost every day, like in front of people being prepared, that was hard. And that's one of the biggest things that after leaving, you kind of feel stress relief because you don't have to perform in front of people like, on a stage every single day. So that's one of the things too, that you said that you were super afraid of public speaking, but there's a difference between public speaking. And I I just got done watching the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp on Netflix. And it, it, it reminded me that not just those high profile attorneys, but that, that were part of that trial, but it seems like all of them out there, like, the OJKs, the, all these places, right? They, they really have to like, they're kind of acting in the way to try to, I mean, cause you have to convince this jury that you're right and your client is innocent or, or the client is guilty or whatever. So is that kind of what they teach you in law school? It's like to be somewhat of an actor or talk to me about that. They don't teach you much about practicing law in law school. So I actually took trial skills, which was great to, get out and do it, but I wouldn't necessarily do it the way that they taught me. Um, So that's the hard thing about being, so you got like transactional lawyers who sit behind a desk and work on contracts and that kind of thing. Then you got trial lawyers who go to trial, go to court. um, And that's more where I'm at. But the hard thing about that is you not only have to be a lawyer, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a salesman, because first you got to sell your client to hire you. Then you got to sell, say, an adjuster to try to get the settle, case settled. If that doesn't work, you got to settle or sale, sell to a lawyer on the other side. 
And eventually, if you go to mediation, you might have to uh, sell to a or persuade uh, the mediator. And finally, a jury. You have to sell to a jury. You have to sell your client's injuries and everything. Not saying they're fake or manufactured, but showing them what it's done to their life. And so you, you got to be good at sales and persuasion. Another thing is storytelling. I mean, that's a huge, honestly, I'm not very good at storytelling. And that's one of the things I'm going to start working on because it's so important because how we communicate and how people remember the most is through stories. And so that's one of the things I'm going to work on. But yeah, being a trial lawyer, you've got to master so many different skills. Negotiation, because um, you're negotiating. Uh, it, it's a lot of skills to get down. Dude, I had Rene Rodriguez on the podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he he teaches a class. It's called Amplify Your Influence, and I've taken his class twice, once in Fort Lauderdale and once in Vegas, and I've had another guy. I've had a couple of guys that have taken his class as well, and, dude, the way that you're able to convey a message uh, through through a story, right? So, like, what's your favorite color? Okay, what normally do people do when when you ask them that? They say me too. No, or, well, or they my color. <laughs> they they turn around and ask you as well. Oh yeah. So are you gonna ask me or no? <laughs> What's your favorite color? So I don't know if you knew this about me, but I was actually born in Mexico, and whenever I was born in Mexico, my mom had me when she was seventeen, and we grew up like really poor, and. She had to have three jobs just to put food on the table. And one of those jobs was that she used to clean houses. And the reason I know that is because as a little kid, I used to go to uh, one of the houses and just sit there and watch TV. And we didn't have a TV. And I was like super excited because I, I would get to go and watch TV while she cleaned this house. I would get to watch cartoons on a Saturday morning. And one of those cartoons was Blue's Clues. Well, fast forward to Christmas of 2020, you know, my mom was able to bring us here, you know, when I was eight or nine, you know, we had great opportunities and it's, uh, we're all done giving each other our Christmas gifts. And my mom goes, Hey, I have one more gift. And we're like, for who? And then she goes outside to the car and then has this, um, this big box. And then she goes, here's this gift, but it's not for you. It's for my future grandkid. Oh. And then I open it up and I remember that when I was a little kid, I, I always wanted a Blue's Clues stuffed animal, but she couldn't afford one to give it to me. So that was her way of kind of giving it to me, even though I was you know, a 20-something-year-old man. She's like, this is for my grandkid. And the reason I share that story with you is because that's why my favorite color is blue. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So there's such a huge difference on just telling somebody this person is guilty because the facts say this. Or you truly, like the storytelling is like incredible. So I, I'll tell you to, to look up, look him up and dude, I'm telling you, it's like life changing because I'm honestly now thinking about it, surprised why he doesn't have some more like attorneys. Cause he has a bunch of lenders, a bunch of like, let's go together. Uh, dude, I'll, that would be my third time. Let's do it. Let's do it. Dude, I gotta, I gotta reach back out to him and he has, he has them all over. I was actually supposed to go to the one in Dallas, but I had a CrossFit competition. And so I ended up going to the one in Vegas. Priorities. Yeah. So, uh, so, (laughs) so that's, that's exactly the point. So I can tell you my client's injured. She broke her leg. 
and she has a her femur. She has a rod in her leg. I can tell you that, or I can one step further is I can show you. And one thing about telling a story is, she had a rod in her femur, and she couldn't even. She walks with a limp for the rest of her life. You know, after this accident on April thirtieth of last year, she just to have somewhat of a normal summer. Her children would be swimming and everything at her mom's house. Her mom actually built a ramp up to the uh, pool because it was an above-ground pool. Built a ramp up to the pool so that she could wheel herself up there so she could actually have somewhat of a summer with her kids. Dude, I'm trying How steep was that ramp? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But that's like doing personal injury now. And I've been even learning more about this. Is like go to your client's house go spend a few days with them because then you'll really understand how this injury how this incident really affected their life you can see pictures of them before the collision before the incident you can see how they're living now the things that they have to do because when you ask them our client when we ask our clients questions they'll kind of give us oh yeah it hurts sometimes but then when you actually go to their house they can't do the dishes because of their shoulder. Um, they had shoulder surgery, and they can't hold the plate out in front of them anymore. So talk to me about how many hours you were working back at the DA compared to, like, how many hours you're working now. Honestly, it's probably about the same, uh, especially towards the beginning of working at where I'm at now, doing personal injury. The bulk up. Uh, in the beginning was learning what I was doing. So I was coming from criminal and there's a whole different set of rules for civil. And that's what the personal injury is under. So I had to learn those. I had to learn personal injury law in general. I'm learning science. I'm learning medicine because I have to know what a disectomy is. I have to know what a bulging disc compared to herniation is. Um, And I'm still learning those things and how it affects people and the lifelong consequences. And so a lot of it is, instead of spending it on a certain case, a lot more now is spent learning more, um, sharpening my skills like we were talking about working on storytelling, but also networking because I got to know people to get cases as well. So when you're watching a case, one of my biggest things to that I love to watch is like murder shows on like Netflix. So I see a lot of court cases and stuff. And they pull so many random people like experts and all kinds of people to try to prove your point. So I'm thinking of my end. I'm a mortgage loan officer and, you know, it takes 35 to 40 people to close one deal. A lot of them are on the lending side. But as far as people that I deal with that are in different in different uh, positions, you have like, let's say the insurance agent. You have the realtor, you have the title company, yeah. you have the appraiser. So what are some of the people, the key people that you that you work with that can that you can call up and say, hey, I think this person can help us, you know, uh, win this case? Who, who are some of those people? Yeah, so it really depends on what type of case it is. So when a client comes in, obviously we're going to help them. So me, my staff, uh, paralegals on my staff, we help them, but then outside of our office, it uh, really depends. Um, do they need a chiropractor? Do they need a physical therapist? Do they need a orthopedic surgeon? 
Do they need a orthopedic surgeon specific to their hand? Do they need a neurologist and neuropsychologist? Depends on what type of symptoms I'm seeing. And I try to help them get to a provider that can help them. Do you use those people and they come back to court? Like, do you use them for a purpose or are you just referring these people? Like I'm talking about who are people that you essentially call up and say, Hey, I need you to do this, this, and this, because I'm going to need you to come back in court and testify. So then that way it can make us look like, you know, and when, when the case. Yeah. So whenever we're in litigation, we actually list all of our treating experts, um, treating doctors, uh, as experts because we might need them to testify. The people that, you're more likely to be a wit expert witness that's testifying as to the injuries if you're a orthopedic or neurologist as opposed to a chiropractor or a physical therapist. Um, the other thing is we hire other retained experts. And so what those that's probably more what you're looking at. Uh, if it's a big accident, we might need an accident reconstructionist. We call them recon, accident recon. Um, because they can reconstruct the accident, they calculate the delta V, so uh, the change in velocity. They then a biomechanic expert can take that delta V and testify that this type of force can cause this type of injury. Then you can go to a um, <clears throat> rehabilitation expert. They can talk about the causation of the injuries, but also what's likely for future treatment. Then you can go to an economist and they can talk about the future lost wages um, if they might expected life expectancy, um, life expectancy. And based on that, say they can't work anymore and they were making $70,000 a year and they have 20 years left to live. So he can calculate all that, but also he can't do his household chores anymore. So he calculates that as well. So there's a whole bunch of, it really depends on the type of case, but those are some of the examples of experts that we can call on to, to get some help on some cases. What's the, your most favorite part about your job and then your least favorite part? Most favorite part is probably the strategy and building a case. So building the case is like what, what you kind of, like the most fun thing. It's not like, I would think it's like in the courtroom trying to like win the deal. Well, trial Trials do not happen very often. Really? Um, it takes quite a bit to get to trial. How many trials do you normally have a month? Oh, a month? Usually zero. Really? So I, part of it I is I feel COVID. like every time I talk to you, you're in court, bro. Are you just lying to me or what? Maybe. We'll <laughs> never know. No, I have to go to court for hearings. and um, Hearings for what? Some of them were a motion to compel. So that's where the other side doesn't give us some discovery. So some documents that we're asking for. So we have to ask the court to make them give it to us. So it's not a trial, but you just kind of go with the yeah the press prosecutor in front of a judge just to go. Yeah, and but I had two trials set this month, August. One, it was a criminal case. It was a domestic assault and battery that we were defending. Um, so we do a tiny bit of criminal defense, and that case got dismissed. And then the other one was, you know, six hour. Who? Sig Sauer. It's a gun manufacturer. Uh-uh. So what, uh, the P320s, I think, is what it is. Those pistols have been going off, like, unexpectedly, not pulling a trigger. And so we have one of those cases. There's a firm that we're working with that we're helping on it. That case was set for trial, but it's pushed back to October. So you're saying that the most 
fun that you have is since you don't really get to go to trial all the time is, is the strategy of putting it together. So that way, what's your goal every time? Like, cause I feel like a lot of attorneys don't want to go to trial. Uh, is your goal to try to get it dismissed every time or settle? So the criminal defense, we got that dismissed. If we're doing criminal defense, we want to get dismissed, but usually we're plaintiffs. So we're representing the individuals. We're bringing the causes of action. And so we don't want it to be dismissed. Um, but honestly, like, I want to go to trial. I know I talked about I don't like public speaking, and I've given plenty of opening statements, and when I'm up there or about to give it, holy cow, like the adrenaline that's going through me. Uh, but once I start getting going, it's, it's, it is so fun to be in trial because, for me, I played high school sports, basketball and golf, and the adrenaline rush that you get is amazing um, with trial. I compare it to sports, but it's like one notch higher because it's like 3D chess. Like you have to know what the other side is going to do before they do it and try to be three steps ahead. And so you're always trying to think of that and you have to be super fast on your feet because if uh, you're asking a witness that is on the other side, say you're, uh, you have a witness and it's the defendant, so you can't control what they're going to say. You have to be quick on your feet and how you respond. Are you pretty good at cross examination? Yeah, yeah, I like to I like to think so. But there's different types of cross examination. So what do, you, what do you mean? So I haven't gone to a course about it, but I've gotten to watch my dad. We tried a case together, a uh, aggravated assault and battery, um, which we were defending, and. I know we t- keep talking about criminal. We do not do that much criminal, but... I think that's what the people want to hear, though. Hey, that They works. don't want to hear about someone going up for a steep ramp. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, keep picturing that. You're going to have to send me a pic. That, dude, I mean, those above gun pulls are tall. It wrapped all the way around. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll send you a picture. But, no, for that one, my dad cross-examined... Um, both the victim and the detective, the main detective, and he killed it. And so what he did was a soft cross where, honestly, it doesn't matter. In that type of cross-examination, it doesn't matter what the other side says. You are telling your story through your questions. So, And literally, trial is a... I, I compare it to like uh, when you go see a show, Broadway, Broadway show, because we have to get all the witnesses lined up and it feels like a production that you're putting on. It seems like it from everything that I've learned. So I will say, even though I like a lot of documentaries, I started watching the show Suits. Yeah. And it's just insane. Like, I feel like you have to be somewhat kind of smart to be watching that show. Yeah. And then you also can't, it's not just a show that I think that you can just have in the background if you really wanted to, under, if you want to know what's going on. Yeah. And it's like, dude, this is crazy. And I know this is a show, but I feel like this is real, especially after, you know, my conversation with that other attorney that I had. But so did it kind of just suck for you growing up with your dad, him being so good at cross-examination? Like, could you just not get away with anything? Like, would he just... (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Well, I guess when you're cross-examining somebody, you know the facts, like, behind the... For the most part, sometimes you're... So one of the things that lawyers say and teach is for cross-examination is never, in front of a jury, is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. That's, okay, I've heard that. But 
we disagree with that. And I learned this from my dad, and I think uh, his dad preaches the same thing. But there's certain questions that you can ask that you might not know the answer to, but it doesn't matter because you're still, one, like a soft cross, you're telling your story, but also, like, sometimes there's those questions where it's a catch-22. If you answer yes, it's not good for you. If you answer no, it's not good for you. Is If you plead the fifth, is it not good for you all the time? So pleading the fifth, like, it was. have, have you seen Goliath? Or not Goliath. Uh, what is that TV show? Have you seen... Game of Thrones? Lincoln Lawyer, the TV show. No, I haven't. Is okay. it good? Go watch that. It is really good. It's really good. But I can't get hooked up into another attorney show right now, bro. <laughs> I'll be... That's what my... The podcast will turn into just a bunch of attorneys <laughs> just coming in here, and I'm just like... <laughs> I need so to have Harvey true? Specter on here, bro. That's who I need to have. I'll come. But dude, I've said this before in, in the podcast, but I want to... I want to... I'll say it again because I want it... I'm curious... Your, about your answer so no matter if you're an attorney a loan officer a transaction coordinator a an insurance agent whatever you do you know all the people that do it they know they know what they do they say hi my name is william and this is my title uh, a smaller percentage of people know how to do it right because just because you you even a hard job like an attorney you pass the lsat you go to law school you pass the bar and it's like, let's just throw you in a trial. And it's like, uh, how do I do this type of thing, right? And even some people that have been doing it for a while, it's like they still don't really know how to do their job. But then only a very, very few percentage of people know why they do it. And in my opinion, those are like the top people. So I'm curious to ask you, like, why is it that you do what you do? Yeah, I think it really goes back to... Uh kind of why I chose this type of practice is because I've heard the stories of my dad and granddad about the influence and impact that they've had on other people's lives in sometimes what's some of the hardest uh, years of their life, um, hardest situations. So that really led me down this way. And I think, uh, I mean, there's all these assessments that you take that like, what is your passion? What are you good at? And there's something else that is usually there. And based on those things, I mean, I think uh, my gifts and skill set fit this job well, uh, but also purpose and passion of helping other people. So one thing, actually, one thing that I was amazed at was my granddad, my dad, and I were all shooting a commercial. We were all... Better Call Saul type of commercial or what? Uh, no, kind of like... Uh, <laughs> you know those cheesy commercials I'm yeah. just kidding um, we were all shooting a commercial we were in separate rooms and taking takes at different times and so I get in there and someone asked me like what what do you what drives you or it was some question like that and I was like honestly I hate it when other people try to take advantage of others especially people who are have less influence or power aren't in as a good situation and uh that just really lights fire under me because i i hate that i honestly was a small um kid in high school and late bloomer uh, one of my nicknames was shrimp on a stick because i was small i was skinny did you prosecute all those kids or what not yet it's coming <laughs> i'm just kidding um 
No, I was just like, I was always the smallest guy. Yeah. Um, I kept growing into college. And so I got picked I on. figured when you said that you grew up playing sports and then you say golf, I'm like, uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I wish I was good at golf now, so I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> oh, man. But it always pissed me off. Yeah. And same with seeing other people get picked on. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. And so now it still happens. These big insurance companies are taking advantage of individuals. And so that's one of the things I actually said during the commercial. And so uh, they finished it, and I watch watch it, and my dad's on there. And he says almost the exact same thing of people taking advantage of other people. Then I see my granddad. He says almost the exact same thing. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, I I don't remember. Maybe we have. I don't remember ever talking to my dad or granddad about that specifically. And it's just something that I said because it pisses me off and drives me. And they said it too. And so I think that's really what drives all of us is we want – to help those that are being taken advantage. And we want to, honestly, help them get justice. That's that's a good answer there. Do you, have you ever been in like a big argument with your dad or grand, grand, granddad? Granddad, not really. What about your dad? Dad, a big argument? I'm curious as to like <clears throat> if those arguments are any much different than any other regular argument like the a father and son would have or if you know if it's just like a family thing or or if it's kind of like a little bit more structured because of the attorney aspect <laughs> of it no it's not any more structured um i mean we try to separate it uh i mean it obviously bleeds over i mean we're going to branson this weekend and i'll bet you a 100 bucks we'll be talking about our about the business at some point um, but we, we do a good job of separating it. Uh, I mean, we hang out, we have fun, but we also have such a good relationship that we might have some disagreements, uh, but it never turns into a big argument or anything. And he's honestly, uh, <clears throat> the wisest person I've met. And it's been such a honor to be raised by him because I've learned so much from him. Um, and just, he definitely has the gift of wisdom and I did Speaking of my podcast that you said, yeah, <laughs> I got an episode with him, and that's the only one we've shot so far. But it's just he lays out so much wisdom in that. And so it's been – our relationship is great, and it makes it a good working relationship. There's still challenges, but uh, that's with anything. So. so talking about father and son, so you just recently became a dad. How has that changed your job? Has it at all? I don't work – as much anymore i spend more time uh with shepherd and my wife i try to get home earlier but sometimes i'm working after i get after uh our son goes to bed um i probably will tonight just because it's a lot of a lot of work right now um trying to get some cases resolved and uh some deadlines coming up so uh yeah yeah working a little less that's probably um the answer to that yeah. working less on the weekends for sure and one of the one of the questions i love asking people that come on especially in different industries that people work in but what's the best advice that you've ever received that you think that has really stuck with you and has helped you where you're at right now and where you're going man i've always been big into working hard and discipline 
and I can't give you any advice on that that I've that I recall. I have a notes section in my phone that I keep quotes and stuff on. Right now, I'm really into Alex Ramosi. Yeah, have you heard of him? Of course, I have. <laughs> well, my brother had it. I I told him go read this book. Is uh, your brother a hermit or what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, no. I I told him to go read it, and he started reading it today, actually, or listening to the audio book. But one of the things he says that I'm really into right now is you can't lose if you don't quit. And to me, that's a ton because there's so much to say about perseverance. A lot of people quit. A lot of people give up before uh, even a huge breakthrough, before you hit that next shot. Um, And so you can't lose if you don't quit. Dude, it is uh, so crazy that you're saying that because every single morning I have a team meeting with my team at 9.30 a.m., and every single day we have different themes. So uh, Mondays is motivation, Monday, Tuesdays is thankful Tuesday, and so on. Well, yesterday, my quote was a quote by Babe Ruth that says, you can't beat somebody that won't give up. And the reason I shared that with them was because it made me think of this past weekend whenever I did a 100-mile bike race, and I went way faster than I thought that I would be going. And I kind of made it into a game. There was like 13,000 people in the entire race. And then we started a group of people with about 500 people. And of course, as the miles kept getting, you know, uh, we kept cutting the miles, we kept losing people. And every single time I would leave somebody behind, somebody would fall off the group. I would just keep telling that to myself. They can't beat me as long as I, I don't give up. They can't beat me as long as I don't give up. So it's crazy that you're saying that because originally that came from Babe Ruth and he said it, and I share that with the team literally just yesterday. So that's pretty crazy. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Colton, thanks so much for coming on, man. I'm glad that we finally made this happen. And um, Second attorney. Second attorney. <laughs> attorney number two, man. That's what happens. There's only one place, and that's first place. And um, I think you were too busy uh, taking Trump's mugshot. Is that what you were doing? Or? I don't know. I would have made a bunch of money. I did, apparently. <laughs> and, uh, man, so you have a podcast. Hopefully this, you know, motivates you a little bit to get episode number two out there. <laughs> What's your podcast called? Right now, it's called The Grit Factor. <laughs> right now, are you going to change the name <laughs> of the know. next episode? <laughs> we'll see. I haven't posted anything. The, so. grit, the grit Factor? Yeah. The Grit Factor. And then, man, you post a lot of uh, educational uh, social media videos like I do, um, and I think people that, don't know much about and want to learn more about the law, they should definitely go follow you. What's where do they, where can they find you? Yeah, I post a bunch of information, especially about insurance and injuries and how to protect yourself. And it's at Colton the Lawyer on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, wherever. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and I'm excited for people to get to hear your story, man. Thanks for having me. Of course.